0: How does a teacher stay in teaching for a long time without getting burnt out, right? How do you avoid the burnout? It's a very stressful job. I'm not going to lie. Like it's objectively stressful. You're making so many decisions like all Mm -hmm. the time. The fact that I'm used to it doesn't take away the fact that, you know, I'm still making as much, if not more decisions than an NFL quarterback, I'm saying. (laughs) No question about it. Yeah. Uh, So he said that he answered this question. He says, you know what? How you avoid the burnout Teach students, not subjects.
1: Uh, uh, so feel me when'm it, it Hi guys, it's your girl grandohama, your favorite Jew from the Lou. Welcome back to my podcast. And tonight, you have a very special guest, because while I might be your favorite Jew from the Lou, tonight we have my mother's favorite. <laughs> so, tonight we have my big brother, my oldest brother, another brother who hopefully will be getting onto my podcast next time he's in town. But my oldest brother, Rabbi Chaim Yachnes, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me. Nechama. It's a real just pleasure to be here with you. Yeah. And uh, I really thank you for giving me a chance to sit down and have a chat
1: guys- with the He's here with his whole family. He's got four kids. He's here from Orlando, Florida. So, like, the fact that he took the time to be here with us, so special. So, I'm so appreciative. And as you know, my mission here is to share real stories and to create connection because now, more than ever before, we feel very alone. And so, if we can share our passions and our stories, perhaps people out there can feel a little less alone and feel some sort of relatability. So, with that being said, Let's dive right into your story.
0: Okay, let's do it.
1: So that being said, my mother had a dream. My mother had a dream that her three kids would go in different directions. She wanted both my brothers to go into business, and she wanted me to be a teacher. Well, she was kind of right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because
1: both my brothers are teachers, and I'm in business. So... can you say? We tried. (laughs) But yeah, my brother's been a teacher now going on seven years. And tonight I wanted to kind of roll back in time. And let's first discuss what was it about teaching of all the career paths that you could have gone into that drew you into it?
0: So there's a really amazing story that happened to me. Um, This is back when I was in third grade. So I guess that would be I was like eight or nine years old. And I had this really um, special teacher, uh, Rabbi Ruven Pollack, who um, sadly passed away at a young age, but uh, had the privilege of being uh, in his class in the third grade here in St. Louis at Epstein Hebrew Academy. And during recess, Rabbi Pollock used to play football with us. He was very into football and he always used to play you know with our class and other classes that shared the same recess period and there was one game where we were playing and i was playing uh, i was playing on offense and somebody else on my team caught the ball and i was running alongside my teammate and there was a defender coming his way and i blocked the defender and in doing so my teammate was able to score a touchdown so i was like okay just like regular normal play, like I didn't really make a big deal. I was happy, but, you know, I was kind of like, all right, it's, it's great, touchdown. And Rabbi Pollock made the biggest deal. And he was like saying how like it was such a great play and how, you know, I could have like blocked the guy from behind, which is an illegal block. And I was like careful to bump him from the side to make sure that it was like legal. And to this day, I'm not really sure whether I, you know, I was purposely trying to do it or not. But one thing I can tell you is that comment, even though it was in, you know, the context of recess, this wasn't even in the classroom, but it just gave me such a boost um, and it just made me feel like a million dollars. Like just the fact that he noticed something good in me and he made me feel good. And, you know, at that time in my life, you know, um, my parents had gotten divorced, you know, about a year earlier or so. I would imagine I don't re- exactly remember all my uh, emotions from the time but I would imagine I was probably you know had a lot going on on the inside and any chance for a person to just give me a pick me up um really meant a lot to me and that really stuck with me for a long time I, I can't exactly tell you um when you know I said to myself you know I want to be a teacher because of what happened but looking back on one of the big, you know, influences in, in my life, Robbie Pollock, would definitely, um, many experiences, but that one in particular really stood out to me. Like I could really visualize and just imagine what it was like and how good I felt. And I said to myself, you know, if I have an opportunity to make even one person feel that good, then I would love to take advantage. And, you know, teaching is definitely, uh, has many opportunities to be able to build up other people and, Rabbi uh positive comment to me really gave me uh, an inspiration of what could be accomplished even with one comment.
1: Wow. I love that. That's so powerful. I didn't know this. I'm learning this from the first okay. time too. You know, it's like obviously my, I don't know if you guys knew this, but my mother's a first grade teacher. And so like we definitely have a lot of people in our family who are teachers, but that's so true. You know, there's so many teachers who do make lasting impressions, both positive and negative. There's so much power that can be held in a classroom. And I know so many of my friends whose careers in different areas have been influenced from one comment from a teacher, you know? It's really powerful. I remember Rabbi Pollock. He was an incredible force to be sure. And you're so lucky that you got to be in his classroom.
0: Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. There was um, there was actually another, another incident with Rabbi Pollock also like really sticks out to me. When I was in, I think, sixth grade, I was in his class again in sixth grade and seventh grade. So in sixth grade, um, one of the uh, subjects in his class, he was a Judaics teacher. So I would say that was like my strong area. I was stronger in Judaic studies than I was in, in English uh, studies. And in sixth grade, you know, I kind of was, you know, of the mentality that, you know, pretty good anyways at this stuff. I don't really have to try so hard in his class because, you know, I'm naturally good at it. So I remember on the first uh test that we had that year, I remember scoring a 54 on the test. And like, that was like the lowest score, like by far that I'd ever gotten on any, uh, test, uh, in, in Judea studies at least. Yeah. And, um, I was really bummed out about it. And I remember coming home and telling my mother and, uh, I think I cried, you know, like I yeah. was like really like broken, like, you know, this was supposed to be my strong area. Well, and so pretty sure what happened was she called Rabbi Pollock to like tell him that like I was really bummed out and he goes ahead and he calls me up on the phone wow. and like he just gave me like, you know, just a encouraging speech about how, you know, uh, You got to try hard in whatever you do. You can't take uh, anything for granted. Mm -hmm. And he really instilled confidence in me that if I applied myself and really worked uh, according to my capabilities, that I would definitely see improvement. The next test, I got like a 75 or something, but he knew that I had studied. I maybe even told him the night before, you know, Rabbi Pollock. I I made sure to study for the test. And he wrote a comment on that test that like, you see, like I knew you were going to do better keep at it. And, you know, you're going to keep on seeing improvement. And uh, I think that also like, you know, was something that really, uh, you know, made me feel like, you know, like, wow, like, look, look how much you could do for another person just by showing a little care, a phone call, a little note on a test. It didn't take him that many, you know, minutes to do, but the impact that I felt from it was long lasting.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. And just to clarify for like anyone in the audience, just so you guys know, in Jewish Orthodox schools, we have like half day is our English studies, like your typical math, science, English. And then the second part of the day is our Judaic studies. So um, there's definitely a lot more courses that you're taking throughout the years. And Part of it also is is that in our community, a lot of the community members are teachers too. So the right. fact that like a lot of the teachers in like whether they're teaching Judaic or English studies, they'll be like family friends. They'll be people who you see at synagogue. And it's just, it's really beautiful that like there's so much connection where it's not just, oh, I see you from these few hours in the school. Like they see a little soul who they care so much about that they're willing to go above and beyond and make that phone call, you know, just to care about you. And uh, I'm not going to lie. It really is helpful to know that you actually didn't do so well on a test score. <laughs> 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 he was, this is my oldest brother. Like, he's the one who I was, like, looked up to because there's a 10-year age gap. And I was always like, oh, like, he's perfect. Like, he's Chaim. And, like, he was auditorian. Even despite his 54, he was valedictorian in both eighth grade and twelfth grade. And I remember because when you were 14, I was like around four at your graduation. And I just remember like how proud Ma was of you, of like everything you had accomplished, how hard you had worked. And I remember being like, wow, I want her to look at me that way. And I don't know if I would have done as well in school if you hadn't kind of like paved the way. So 54 and all, it's good to know. <laughs>
0: And even, even I am not perfect. No. Shockingly.
1: No, 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 for sure. And I think that's definitely changed in our relationship, like as adult siblings versus like child siblings, you know, where it's like as a child, you don't really necessarily meet the same path in terms of intellect maturity. We were very different stages of life. But now as adults, it's really cool to kind of just get to know each other as people, you know? Definitely. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So you went throughout school. You had that defining moments, kind of, when third grade, but it wasn't quite yet clear. At what point, when you were deciding your future, did you decide, okay, teaching is where I'm going to go?
0: So, so for many, for um, many years, uh, I guess, of my adult life, um, um, I studied at a uh, rabbinical seminary mm-hmm. um, in New York. And uh, one of the messages that was, like, often promoted uh, time and again was that um, how important it is to be able to share, you know, God's gift, the Torah, with other Jewish people and how each person should, like, feel a responsibility that if there's some way that I could help spread and to share, you know, God's Torah, you know, God's word, With other, you know, Jews, regardless of their affiliation, you know, whether they're very unaffiliated or very affiliated, Mm -hmm. you know, with uh, with Judaism, each person has to look within and ask themselves the question, like, what can I do to, you know, advance Hashem's Torah and bring it out into the world? And that message was, you know, drilled constantly again and again and again. And uh, as I matured, and as as I you know I, I arrived there uh, at age 21. I was there until age 31. So uh, I definitely had many years to be able to uh, contemplate that message and to try to understand and internalize. Like, how does this fit with my personality and my talents that uh, I was gifted with, you know, from God? And uh, is there any way that I could um, join in this really holy, you know, an important mission? yeah and uh and just thinking it through and just uh thinking about myself and thinking about my personality and and um what I had to offer you know I definitely saw within myself that um I'm articulate I'm somebody who's not afraid to get up in front of others mm-hmm. um I have a tremendous passion for uh learning you know um I remember actually one of my uh one of my uh my rabbeim, one of my spiritual mentors uh, in the yeshiva, uh, he mentioned the idea that a a a person who gives over Hashem's Torah could be likened to a missile. And he basically explained that the missile has two main components. There's a bomb that's inside of you know the missile, mm-hmm. and then there's the delivery system. And he said that the analogy, that's an analogy. And how does that apply in real life? He says the bomb is, you know, a person spends years studying the Torah, studying its values and internalizing, you know, you know all, all of the Torah learning. And that's sort of your bomb. And then the delivery system, um, the delivery system is, you know, each person was gifted from God with their own unique personality, their own talents and own abilities to be able to give it over. And, and, um, you know, part of that ability to be able to give and to share, I would say any teacher would say this is like, if you want to be effective at giving over whatever you're teaching, you have to feel passionate. You have to love it. You have to believe in it. You have to feel like this is amazing and incredible. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, you know, as I began thinking towards the end of my uh, tenure at the yeshiva, um, you know, like twenty, you know, twenty-seven, twenty years old. As I, you know, knew that you know my years were coming to an end, um, I really was thinking about myself and like, who am I? And like, do I really feel passionately about the Torah? And 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 I really felt like, yeah, like I really think it's amazing, it's incredible. There's so much beauty there, and I really want to share this uh, with others. And um, you know, putting that together with my experiences in life that I, sh- you know, some of which I shared earlier and just understand my personality, it just kind of made sense and fit. Like this is something that I want to do. This is something that I could see myself getting satisfaction out of. And I really think that, uh, I have a lot to offer to, uh, I have a lot to offer to the world and I think I could really inspire uh, other people to become greater Jews. So yeah. that's, that's kind of, uh, was how it all came together.
1: I think what's super inspiring about your story as well is the fact that you combined taking that time where typically in a typical college sense, you finish school and you're what, like 22 years old, your kid, and you're supposed to go out and start teaching, right? Versus like what I really like about the way you went about going to figure out being a teacher and becoming a rabbi was that you took the time for self-development. So you're in a very different stage in your late 20s than you are in your early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you had been married. You, have, you had at least two kids at that point, right? right? Yeah. So a lot of that changes you as a person. You grow and you develop. And then also, you didn't just do that, but you went above and beyond and you got your master's in education to really just make sure that you can give your all. So what was it that made you decide to take that extra stop and get your master's in education as well?
0: So uh, it's an interesting question. Truthfully, that really was more just to open up um, more options for myself as far as career-wise. There Mm -hmm. are certain, um, uh, you know, Jewish schools that uh, they require that you have some form of a degree. Others less so. Um, And, and, you know, uh, I, I, I was more doing it just to have it on the resume in case I came to school and, you know, some schools, they just have like this technical requirement you got to have a degree. Right. So it was more just to cover my bases. There was one particular um, lesson that did stand out me from, from, from my college courses. I, I, I might, I, I think it's probably the only one that I would say was valuable, but I thought it was a good, it was a good lesson. Yeah. Um, I remember in one of the courses, they were talking about um, when you're collaborating with parents of a child so they were saying how there was one teacher one time who at the beginning of the meeting so you know you have the teacher you know sitting down in the chair you have the parents sitting down i don't know if there was like another administrator present and then the teacher goes ahead and brings an empty chair and says like this chair over here like this is for jimmy you know just to make up a name mm-hmm. and the teacher was trying to impress upon all of the stakeholders at that meeting That like, let's remember that the purpose of this meeting is to help Jimmy. It's not about like, I'm right, you're wrong. Like, it's about helping the child. And Mm. he wanted to like, you know, have that representation of the child there. um, So that everybody could keep their focus. I thought that was a nice. uh, That was a nice lesson. Yeah. Um, What would I say it was worth it going through all the hours of college? I don't think I'm going to go that far. But and, you know.
1: That's an interesting debate. That is definitely a hot topic nowadays where people are starting to wonder, is college really necessary? Now, obviously, there's certain degrees that for certain careers, like being a doctor, a lawyer, you're going to need to go to college. But is it necessarily necessary for every job? Maybe not. Right. Or like, maybe it could shrink the amount of time you spent. Right. Like, do you really need a four-year, three-year, two-year degree? Maybe not.
0: Right, right. You know uh, i de- I, de- I definitely would say for teaching that uh, experience is is the greatest it's the greatest way of learning so
1: oh yeah that's,
0: in my experience, I'm saying uh, I, I feel like I've learned most from experience
1: when I would say honestly, even as a graphic designer, that same thing is true for me. like I had to go to school to learn how to use the programs, right? Could I have learned it myself on YouTube probably, but at the same time, it's like you said sometimes you just need that piece of paper to like make you stand out, open up certain like, opportunities for you. But uh, you're right, there literally is nothing like actual experience. And that's actually the perfect segue into the next question I have, which is, you know, you had all this passion, right? And as a student, when you're studying for a degree, you have this vision of like the impact you're gonna make and what that's gonna look like when you're actually in front of a classroom. But sometimes, especially in the beginning, all beginnings are hard. So the reality of actually teaching—what was that transition like, and what were some of the lessons you've learned in the beginning? Okay,
0: so the beginning of teaching was very hard. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's real. Very hard. Um, if I had to encapsulate exactly what was hard about it, and and also just looking back in hindsight, you know, they always say in hindsight uh, everything is 2020. With all of the passion and 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 desire to want to give over, I think the biggest lesson that I've come to learn, I wouldn't say I'm done learning this lesson, but it's definitely clearer to me than it was when I walked in a classroom for the first time. When you are walking into a classroom, it doesn't really matter what age group you're dealing with. You're dealing with human beings. Mm. And human beings are all very unique. There's no two people that are created the same everybody's personality is different everybody's life circumstances are different uh, everybody's way of looking at the world is different and you need to respect that you need to respect the fact that you're not dealing with um, teaching subjects you know you're dealing with real human beings and I definitely you know in recalling the struggles of my first year, I think striking that balance of I want to actualize this passion that I have to give over while at the same time recognizing that I'm dealing with human beings who don't share the passion, not to mm-hmm. any fault of their own, because like was I any different when I was a kid?
1: Well, no- let's pause. What age do you teach?
0: So in my first year, I was teaching fifth I was teaching in the mornings of fourth and fifth grade boys, mm-hmm. so like nine and ten year olds
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or ten and eleven really, and then second graders in the afternoons so like seven seven-year-olds in seven, the middle of the year yeah but i would say just but regardless of the ages I, I would maintain that the biggest challenge that i found was was you're dealing with human beings and like they're not just going to as passionate as you are about the subject passion is an important prerequisite to being able to be a good teacher but it doesn't doesn't guarantee that they're going to be receptive. Like you right. still need to respect their needs and um, whether it's physical needs or emotional needs, like, you know, they're, they're human. And, and, and I um, actually a couple of years ago, there was a great quote that I saw and I know you said, I'm supposed to say a quotable quote. I'm, I, I have a few of mine, but this is a good, this is a good one though. Even if it's not my quotable quote. Yeah. There was a great, uh, there was a great rabbi from New York. His name was Rav Avram Palm. He
1: mm-hmm. was the
0: head rabbi of a uh, famous uh, yeshiva uh, in New York called Torvadas. So Rav Pam said a great line. In the context that he said this line was one of his students asked him, how does a teacher stay in teaching for a long time without getting burnt out? Right? How do you avoid the burnout? It's a very stressful job. I'm not going to lie. Like It's objectively stressful. You're making so many decisions like all mm-hmm. the time. The fact that I'm used to it doesn't take away the fact that, you know, uh, I'm still making as much, if not more, decisions than an NFL quarterback. I'm saying. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. Uh so he said that he answered this question. He says, You know what, how you avoid the burnout? Teach students, not subjects.
1: Ooh. It's so powerful. And
0: and, and the point he was basically making was. Every year you walk, or every I not every year, every day, every minute that you're in a classroom, recognize that you are teaching a person. You're not just teaching math. You're not just teaching science. You're not just teaching Chumash or Gemara, whatever subject it is. Mm-hmm. You're teaching students. And yes. when you have that mindset of I'm dealing with human beings, so I mean, he was saying, you know, that keeps it fresh because you're never ever going to have. Same human beings every single year. It's always gonna be different students, and Mm -hmm. as generations changes, so will the challenges, and so will the so will the needs of of every student that you're dealing with. Yeah. Um. But I, I really took that line to heart, and it really was a good reminder for me. You know, when I walk into the classroom, like, what is you know, like we always in teaching, especially, it's like, what's my anything? Like, what's my objective? What is my goal here? And that's a really important goal in teaching is to recognize that you're dealing with people um, whose needs are all going to be different and constantly changing. And you need to be respectful of that. And you need to, you know, obviously you need to give over as a teacher. That's your job. You're supposed to, you have curriculums and you have, you know, knowledge that you want to impart to the students, but everything has to be within the context of I'm dealing with a person.
1: Yeah. And I would add on to that advice that I've heard as well for teachers. and I can't quote who it was like you did, but you know, if anyone knows, let me know. (laughs) But the quote is that you, in order to be a good teacher, you need to remember what it was like to be that age of the grade that you are teaching. And what I think is so ironic is that the age that you're teaching is about the age that impacted you to even start thinking about being a teacher. Like to this day, you still remember what it felt like to be that third grade child where Rabbi Pollock went above and beyond to make you feel special. You remember what it was like to be in sixth grade when he went above and beyond, right? And so it's like th- that's the age range that you're teaching now. So the fact that you could still recall it and feel those feelings, I think that really speaks volumes of why you're such a great teacher. Yeah.
0: Yes, that definitely. Uh... Definitely, definitely, definitely would agree that uh, it's important to uh, recognize the impact that you can make uh, even on young children. You know, yeah. I once remember um forgot the exact quote, but there was this famous uh psychologist, uh Chaim Janot. And he base and he said that um a child, he made an analogy was like a child is base is like is like a blank piece of paper, you know, and like whatever you know, however you interact with that child, like that's going to make like a, a serious impression. Like you're dealing with a blank slate and like what the way you, the way you treat them and the way you relate to them, like that makes a real big difference. Even if they're not giving you the feedback at that moment, like you can be certain, like it's really making a difference and uh, it's a great responsibility, but it also, you know, it also goes to show like, you know, how big of a difference you could make even at such a young age.
1: For sure. Now, as challenging as it was, which i'm sure in the beginning it really was were there any points when you questioned if this was the right career for you did you question thinking about giving it up you know because it was it's a hard transition to go into
0: i will say that um i'm a pretty am a pretty i'm a pretty stubborn fellow it works you know <laughs> for my benefit and sometimes to my detriment yeah but um you know also like like you know, I moved with my family like out of town, like to do, you know, to to t- to be able to teach Torah. Mm-hmm. And um, I invested a lot, picked up my family, moved away from New York, which is not a not an easy move for everybody. So um, I went in with a mindset. I don't think I knew how hard it was going to be going in, but I definitely mm-hmm. went in with a mindset that I know, just from you know, the little that I knew about teaching, this is not uh, an easy profession, and. Um, I think going in with the mindset like it's not going to be so easy um definitely helped me to be able to among that with many other things um i would definitely have to give a lot of credit to hashem to mm-hmm. god who definitely is constantly with me uh and uh i mean i i i, I could go on and on for hours about just the you know uh, all, all of the uh divine intervention uh, of uh when i really needed to pick me up and like you know i would get you know, something to like really make me feel like, you know, I'm doing a great job, I'm making a good impact, even when times are a little bit tough. Um, I don't think I ever felt like I want to quit this. Um, Did I sometimes feel like, wow, like this is really hard. And yes, definitely often, for sure, the first year, you know, yeah, I definitely uh, remember being very down and very, you know, uh, it's not a pleasant feeling when you just go in every day and like you feel like you're just barely treading above water mm-hmm. um it got it definitely got easier in the second year uh things have you know gotten easier as it's progressed but uh what can i say it's uh you got you do have to have thick skin for it it's definitely uh you got to have thick skin and you can't take things personally i
1: think that's good advice for everyone in any career field that you're in right because I think a lot of us almost go into with like, you know, rose colored glasses thinking it's going to be amazing and wonderful. And because we have passion and vision, it's going to be successful, right? Right. And then sometimes the reality is you're going to get punched in the face a few times before you figure out how to fight the game, right? And so I really appreciate you being so real and open about your experiences because, you know, sometimes when you hear other speakers or teachers talk, all you hear is, the motivation, the passion, the, the how good it felt after years of experience. You know what I mean? I don't think a lot of people open up and talk about the struggles and challenges you're going to deal with when you're first going into it. So I'm sure a lot of teachers who will hear this are going to feel a lot of like clizog or strength from this. So thank you.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Definitely very normal to feel overwhelmed. <laughs> so don't feel overwhelmed if you're a teacher. It's normal.
1: Yeah, it's normal. Just keep doing it, you know? Experience only happens if you keep doing it, so you can't give up. You know, seven years in, you're feeling better about it. You have more confidence. You have more experience. You've definitely seen more about, like, the trends of teaching and students and where things are going, so looking towards the future, now that you have more of, like, a handle on your career, what do you want out of teaching?
0: On a personal level, I would say that something that i continue to work on is a very driven personality very passionate about what i do mm-hmm. um, in judaism you know there's a very important concept that our job is to do the best that we can mm-hmm. and the results are up to god up to hashem and that's a very hard concept you know, in general for a person to internalize, particularly uh, as a teacher and as somebody who just is very invested in what I do and really strives to be as best as I could be day in, day out, it's challenging to sometimes be able to strike that balance and to internalize. I've done whatever I could do Mm -hmm. and there's a certain reasonable line of what's considered, you know, good efforts, you know, be it in giving over the information, being in, cl- in a certain aspect of classroom management. But ultimately, the results are 0% me. Like, the, the results are totally up to God. Like, if he wants a certain result to happen, then he's going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I have to do whatever I could do to try to bring about a What I, you know, what my desired outcome, but the result is not up to me. Moving forward, I would like to, you know, grow in that area as 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 a person, and and I believe that the more I could internalize that concept, I think it's going to make me, you know, just be more relaxed. You know, uh, I'm more relaxed now than I was when I first started, but I still feel like this is a lifelong journey. Um, and 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 to the degree that I'm able to internalize that my job is to just give it my best effort, but to simultaneously keep at the forefront of my mind that I'm not in charge of the results. I think that's gonna make me overall a more effective um, you know, teacher because I'm not going to, you know, get down on myself for being less than perfect. I'm not going to get thrown off kilter. You know, when things inevitably don't go according to the script, which they never do. I'm saying like, I would say 90 to 95% of the time, even when everything is planned out great, there are so many things that you can't control that just cause you to shift. And again, for me, it's like natural to make these adjustments because I'm used to teaching. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that there's not, you know, it doesn't mean that, that that shifting doesn't have to be made.
1: Right.
0: So I think moving forward, like you know where i'd like to see myself grow and become better is like to recognize like i'm just a human being like my job is to use my god-gifted talents and my uh abilities and abilities that he gave me to try to be the best teacher and uh and this is true even though i'm teaching something religious right it's not about spiritual versus non-spiritual like this is the jewish mindset about all matters whether it's a spiritual pursuit or a mundane pursuit god is in charge of the results Mm -hmm. and the more that we can internalize that whatever you know aspect of life we're, we're we're dealing with i think the more equanimity we have on the inside we're more calm we're more able to roll with the punches and like these are you know, in teaching, like, it's so important just to be able to keep that presence of mind, you know, regardless of what happens in the classroom, it's important to be able to have that sense of calm, Uh, especially younger children. Like they're so impressionable. Like they, they really like idolize you. Like they're looking up to you and like, this is my role model. Again, not to put too much pressure on myself, but the reality is like, that is how they perceive me and um i know that the more calm and i just know by experience like the more calm i'm able to stay when things don't go according to plan you know that has a mirror effect like they sense the calm and because of that like they're able to stay calm so that's i would say is a major area that i like i want to continue growing in and improving upon uh moving forward and i think that's going to have positive impact on a lot of my teaching,
1: you yeah, know? like
0: I think that's just a really important cornerstone of me you know continuing to develop and become a better teacher,
1: oh yeah, especially as since you are their role model, when they see that you give yourself that grace and that patience to be human and you know to learn and be real with them, that transparency and that authenticity is like one of the most best lessons you can possibly teach them. And, um, you know, full transparency, when I was thinking about being a teacher, because the thought did cross my mind, even though it didn't end up happening, um, one of the concerns that I had with being a teacher was the fact that, let's say, for example, I was a second grade teacher, right? You're dealing with a few factors. One is that it's a marriage between the parents and the teacher. Both of you are molding that child, right? And so sometimes you might try to instill certain values of how the child behaves or how their approach to learning is but maybe the parents don't support that at home and i was like that would seem really frustrating to me so that was one element that i couldn't like you know get behind and then the other element that i considered was the fact that maybe as a teacher I somehow was able to mold and inspire the child in third grade, second grade, right? Then they move on to the next grade and maybe the next teacher wasn't the best teacher. Was all my work for nothing? What are your thoughts on those two thoughts?
0: So, um, in the first the first aspect of parents, I would say it's going to depend on your school. Mm-hmm. Um in general, my way, you know, has been uh try to be very um humble, you know, like, uh, don't come across with the impression of like, you know, all the answers, like rather approach it from the perspective of you're the, you're their parent, And, uh, even if I have certain opinions about certain parenting decisions, Mm -hmm. ultimately like you're their parent and you know them best. You, you did raise them and, uh, God decided to give you this child. So he Mm -hmm. obviously thought that you had the ability to, to be able to get the job done. Right. So like respect them for that, you know, and like, uh, you know, uh, Shlomo Hamel, King Solomon said that you know in uh, when it comes to uh, our interactions with others, he said that the way we you know the impression we give off to others is going to reflect back to us just like if you look in the water, you see the reflection in your face, that's how the heart of another person is going to reflect back. So people are very receptive to the way you perceive them. So if parents perceive you as somebody who respects them and, and and respects them as the parents and the and the primary caretaker of the child um, and that you're open to hear what they have to say even if you're gonna disagree ultimately I think that definitely can uh, preempt a lot of the tension that may rise when uh, interacting with parents that's just it's worked for me so that's that's just my personal thoughts on that um, and uh, with regards to maybe someone's going to mess it up. So again, like, well, number one, if, you know, using my own personal reflections, like I I can also, you know, I didn't say all the stories of some of the other teachers who made not nice comments to me, but Mm -hmm. again, that didn't push push comes to shove. Like that didn't take away positivity uh, of those good experiences that I have with teachers. So, you know, uh, it's not an all or nothing, you know, Mm. you know, we're humans, right? So, like, not every teacher out there is going to be perfect. Right. And sometimes teacher could be going through their own crisis and, you know. It
1: just they're human too.
0: Right. So, uh, you know, and, and as what I said before, like, if you think of it from that perspective, the religious perspective of, like, God deals with the results and it's my job just to do my best. I think that also could, like, you know, help, uh, you know, with your particular issue. Maybe somebody else is going to mess it up. Like, my job is not to control every human being in the world. My job is to try the best I can, I can, and, uh, you know, where, where this will take the child ultimately, like, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think also that child eventually grows up to be an adult. They're going to have good and bad experiences with teachers, regardless, it's just life. Right. And I think one of the most important lessons when you are an adult is having the maturity to not play a victim mentality, where it's like understanding the humanness of your teachers, and then you get to choose what lessons you're going to take with you and what lessons you're going to be like, you know what, maybe that wasn't the best experience, but I will not let that define me. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been such a great episode. I am so grateful and thankful that you took the time to do this with me. And as you guys know, I have this tradition. It's based on this Hebrew quote. Is it called <inaudible> this Oh my gosh, I got nervous, guys! it's my big brother. I got nervous <laughs> um but yeah, one who is wise is one who learns from everyone. so what's a quotable quote or a life lesson that you would like to share?
0: so I'm gonna cycle back to uh Raleigh pollock um and and um I had a uh interaction with one of his children last summer
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and uh i was he was a little kid at the time uh when uh his father passed away. So I never really had the opportunity to really share some of my experiences with him uh, that I had had with his father, but I saw him last summer and uh, I just went over to him and I'm like, you know, like, I just wanted to let you know, like your father made such a big impact in my life. And like, it was really one of the driving forces in my uh, decision to become a teacher. And, uh, you know, he was obviously very grateful that I shared all that with him. And he told me he said that the secret to my father's success in teaching was that he had a respect for every single person's problems, and it didn't matter if he was dealing with a young child or an adult, but his he always maintained a respect for like their problems and their issues and so if I had to you know give a quotable quote you know and something that I definitely strive to uh to to live by every day whether in the classroom or out of the classroom is treat everybody's feelings and needs with equal level of respect don't assume that just because you're dealing with a child therefore uh, they don't need to be respected and be treated with just as much sensitivity as you would treat you know a friend uh, you know who's the same age as you or if you're married a spouse like you have to treat every single person's Needs and feelings with respect. And uh, I, I think that uh, anybody who takes that advice to heart, I think you're going to see uh, positive results uh, in your relationships. And I just think it's just good, good, good life advice, teaching or not.
1: I love that. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. So, one thing I also like to do is, you know, on our platform, we're on a bunch of different ones. Sure. Is there some way that we could support you? We could always like share a link if there was like any way. So, how do you want us to support you?
0: Um, the best way you could really support me is just try to live by that message, like go out whatever field you know you're working in, uh, whether you're a kid, a teenager, an adult, wh- wherever you are in life, like just remember the concept that every human being is special, every human being is important, and you know we need to do the best we can to try to tr- treat. Every part of that person with respect is, uh, I think, is just great life advice. Love it. I would, I would advise everybody to do it.
1: Love it. Thank you. Subscribe. Thumbs, leave a thumbs up, positive review. And most importantly, please share with the friends. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Let's get it. Let's go.